get a job. Work hard. And one day you can retire and do the things you want. That's the typical formula for daily life in the modern world. And it works for lots of people. This kind of life is perfect. But it's not for us. And I'm guessing that it's not for you either. I'm David Allen Patali, and I'm Carmen Allen Patali, and together we run the content company Red Platypus. I'm also a published fiction author, and we have two young daughters who keep us on our toes. We've both said no to well-paid jobs in favour of pursuing our creative paths, and we want to walk them with you. Freelancer, digital nomad, artist, creative, self-employed. Whatever you want to call it, if you work for yourself and want to keep it that way, or want to be free from the nine to five and don't know where to start, we want to help. We're going on a journey to speak to committed creatives, people who are all in, who have made highly successful businesses out of their creativity, and ask them how they do it while retaining the magic. Because while we think inspiration is good, we've come to learn that process is vital. Welcome to the Committed Creative Podcast, your toolkit for the creative life you want. Here's to going all in and becoming a committed creative. Simon Banks is a charismatic soul who truly believes in the power of creativity and how it can change your life. So having him as a guest on the Committed Creative Podcast was a no-brainer. Simon's a keynote speaker with a difference, he draws illustrations while he talks, and he's also an author of A Thousand Little Light Bulbs, How to Kickstart a Culture of Innovation in Your Organisation. And he's the co-host of the Occupational Philosophers podcast, in which he discusses creativity, innovation and design. An expert in creativity himself, Simon works with corporates to show them how they can better tap into their own creativity so they can achieve great things. It was an absolute delight to have Simon on the podcast. Let's jump in. Great. So welcome and thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, it's great to have you here and I'm really looking forward to chatting with you, Simon. Yeah, thanks for having me so long. Always, always a pleasure to chat to, let's say, a fellow creative or someone involved yeah. in the creative space might be a better way to say it as well. <laughs> well, actually, when I first emailed you, I remember I said um, it's great. it would be great to cre- um, chat with a creative expert, which was partly tongue-in-cheek, but really I think you probably are a creative expert or an expert in the creative field. Maybe you can start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and um, your career and what you do. Well, look, when I introduce myself, I say I'm a, an international keynote speaker, author and podcaster on creativity, innovation and design and a recovering professional artist. And look, I'm known <laughs> in the industry for my high energy offsites, conferences, workshops and design sprints that really shift the way that people think, uh, develop big ideas but I guess everything which connects the one piece which connects all the work that I do with everyone and you know when you always have like client personas and this persona there and Mm -hmm. I always look at them and I think what the hell connects all these people because all the work is so different but it's that ability to help people to to reimagine whether it's reimagine their strategy reimagine their um, their products and services reimagine what's happening with their team reimagine their conference or event it's it's that I probably is that key thing which connects everyone and everything Mm -hmm. and you work mainly with corporates and I guess you try and help spark their creativity again so that they can generate better ideas how important do you think 
creativity is in the corporate world? Because I know a lot of people think of corporate as being very dry and perhaps more about numbers than arts and creativity. Um, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, well, look, let's. It's probably the. There's a few things there, so I'll address a couple of them. Hang on to the arts and creativity piece uh, <laughs> because that's important. But look, yeah, the cor- corporate landscape can be really dry, but look, it's full of amazing, awesome interesting, talented, uh, uh, super cool people. Absolutely. And so, look, when I ask, also not just around coming up better ideas, but it's also like when um, I love the saying, you need it's great to have a stranger in the room who knows nothing about what you're doing because we all, mm. you and me included, we all get, because um, I know you're a copywriter, we all start to go through those same patterns, don't we, with all yes. of our stuff. So I guess I'm part of that that stranger in the room in that environment to help people to, to shift their thinking and then not only shift mm. their thinking, but once they do it, how to, can you actually redesign and design and bring something to life, but very much in an action-oriented orient- way because coming from an arts and design background, uh, creativity isn't so much about what you think, it's about what you do. So I always like to try and push people very much into that into that doing space. And look, is creativity essential in business? Yeah, absolutely. And you look at the almost every global survey from CEOs from like IBM, Adobe, LinkedIn, Deloitte, PwC, World Economic Forum, what do they put at the top of their list for what they want for their employers? Create innovation innovation and well, innovation <laughs> yeah. and creativity, yeah. So what's that skill yeah, we have? Yeah. But look, as a rule, uh, not all corporate environments have been supportive of that because mm. it can be considered risky, be considered a bit fluffy. We're not about that. We're about sort of, uh, you know, numbers. But here's the thing. Creative people equals numbers, so mm. you look at all the businesses which uh, we look up to and we go like Netflix, they rethought how content can be shared. Uh, Apple, they rethought how even uh, computers should look because, you know, their operating system's fantastic, but, you know, how mm. dynamic is the design from their, from all their, mm-hmm. and that sort of rethought how people want to interact. So all of these businesses which we look up to, creativity is at their core amongst other things. So absolutely essential and if you if i would go so far as say if you're not leveraging the creativity in your business you'll be quickly overtaken by people who are now when you mentioned the arts and creativity before uh the arts are highly creative but they're not the only creative thing and this is where people get Mm. stuck and often goes back to a comment which they might have had from a teacher at school and it goes something along the lines of this oh your drawing doesn't look like a horse try geography instead so from that moment because they got a crappy comment about their ability to draw realistically which is a very logical thing to do they've carried this i'm not creative throughout their life so people assess uh, think of their own creativity often through the lens of the arts but the arts is just one avenue to be creative like creativity comes in all forms like we live we breathe we walk we talk we create as kids as we get older we drop the create which is ridiculous because it's Mm. we've been doing it since the beginning of time so that's a long answer to a few different questions but uh yeah creativity essential in every industry Yes, it is a bit sad, isn't it, that I feel like in some ways the creativity is beaten out of us from a young age with, you know, you just mentioned that teacher, Mm. oh, you didn't draw the horse properly. And I've got a friend whose child um, was tasked, five-year-old, tasked to draw a face and he drew 
a self-portrait of himself but upside yeah. down and the teacher thought oh there's something wrong with him and she was saying no I think it's great like he's very creative he's thinking outside the box and I just feel from a young age you know we're taught to toe the line and fit into a certain mold and how can we remain creative as we grow older oh, that's a great question uh, look keep trying new things like keep doing new things, be open to new experiences, hop out of your comfort zone, be highly curious, uh, listen to different music that you wouldn't normally listen to, uh, read a new book, uh, listen to a different podcast. Uh, try something that you know you're not going to be good at because I think mm-hmm. it's that fear of not being uh, looking like the highly paid, highly intelligent professional that we are and that we get paid to do and everyone knows it and <laughs> that's our job to know everything. Try something that you know you're going to be crap at. And then I think that's a really good way, crap at it first, but then that's a really good way to spark that creativity. And again, we often think I should take a painting class or an art class or a singing class. Yeah, absolutely. But that's not the only thing because creativity just comes in so many joyous, beautiful ways. And think uh, like cooking. Most of us like cooking. Well, not most of us, a chunk of us like cooking. Highly creative process. Uh, your yes. creativity might even be the way you organize your day into time slots, the way you, you know, if you're, let's say, um, if you're a, a parent trying to get your kids out the door in the morning and <laughs> get lunches, how that. creative is that, how you manage your time? So I guess reassess what your creativity, what you think it is, but also I'd say stay inspired. That's probably a great way to stay. Seek inspiration. And I think Jack Karak, the author, if I've got this correct, he says, don't wait for inspiration, go after it with a, a sledgehammer. So seek out that inspiration and, um, yeah, don't, don't be vanilla. So there's a bunch of ways yes. to, to, um, to seek out and keep that creativity moving. And that's for myself as well. Like, you know, it's very easy, even though I do creative stuff for a living, just to get stuck in that same mould thing. So my challenge is always make sure I'm doing something not related to work for my creativity as well. Yeah. And you touched on briefly there about fear and do something that scares you. I think when you first start a business, perhaps if it's in a creative field as well, people are, you know, just quite a scary venture. You have a lot of self-doubt and you think, are people actually going to buy what I'm offering? Um, Is it something people want? Do you have any advice for people who are going out on their own and looking to start a venture? There's probably a couple things there. It's, it's almost the, the creative piece because when you create something and you put it into the world, uh, you know, it is an act of bravery. And look, you know, bravery in the mm. different sense of, um, you know, facing a lion in the eye and or, you know, rescuing someone from a burning building or something. So there's all types of bravery. But it's you're certainly putting your soul out to the world. And that's why rejection can feel quite hard because it's almost like it's a little bit of your soul and a little bit of you. Yeah, personal. Yeah, but I I remember the first when I first uh, was pursuing the career of being a professional artist, and this was just around the time frame of when digital was the the go to format. But that was when you would all you'd still be okay to have this massive portfolio of work drop it in someone and say, look, look through my portfolio. And so I just used to walk into galleries and go, what do you think? Uh, the great thing of that is lots of rejections. Uh, so you get used to getting these no's, which is good. But someone always had a little bit of advice for you as well. So I guess I, from a very early age, oh. I developed a thick skin and someone says, oh, this is horrendous. You go, oh, just tell me why. And so you'd always get something from it. So just think of if you ship stuff that's important, you'll get, you'll get, feedback of 
all different types and formats. So I guess one of it, you just got to suck it up. If you want to make a living mm. from in the creative space, you have to get used to no's, but all of those no's mm. are just getting you closer to a yes. And look, running a business is yeah, absolutely scary. And I don't think that ever ends. I don't know anyone who's, <laughs> who's in business who doesn't have the same, uh, let's call it, uh, sort of anxieties or the same uh, self-doubt or the imposter syndrome that we all had when we, we first started. So it never ends, but the good thing is the more you do it, the better, the, the, the better you get at dealing with those vagaries. Mm. So I'm so glad you said that because sometimes it can feel lonely and that you're st- you know, the only one struggling with a certain business problem, but it's good to know that there's so many other people out there. Um, so you mentioned that you, you know, at the start of your career, you went to galleries and dropped off your art and how has your career progressed from, you know, selling, exhibiting your art around the world to now, um, training corporates about creativity and innovation and, can you tell us a little bit more about how you got to this yeah, point? Yeah, for sure. And look, I always had a dual career. I studied um, arts and education. So I left uh, I left university and I was I got a job teaching naughty school kids who'd all been kicked out of normal school, <laughs> normal uh, naughty primary school kids. And uh, my job was their creative arts teacher. And I realised it wasn't about creative, you know, it wasn't about art, it was about delivering creative confidence because these kids had a really low mm. self-esteem. So I really enjoyed mm. that. Then I went and worked in, uh, in juvenile detention, actually, at a, a school in juvenile wow. detention. And again, taught a TAFE art course there for a couple of years. But then I realized, and for me, I was like, I just don't know if I can teach for the, the, re- the rest of my life. I've done three or four years. <laughs> and I thought, this is an, I'm, I'm interested to do something else. And I always mm. had my art on the side like I was never quite sure if I wanted to do it full time that's not a cop out or anything but I really like doing interesting things when I was teaching you have a lot of in special ed you finish uh, quite early and because you've had a quite tough day your, your, your time's your own after that so from yeah. 2.30 I'd have all day almost like a whole day to paint and create but then when I moved to the UK which I did uh, for six or seven years I thought oh, I'm going to try something different for my work and just by a chance encounter uh, I met a guy an Aussie guy who ran a sort of like a, a training and development corporate training and development corporate leadership uh, company and look just on a oh. personality alone no skill I got a job with them and then I kept my I was almost embarrassed that I was an artist on the because everyone you met with was oh. like quite serious and you know so I used to keep it on the low down but I was sort of exhibiting <laughs> by night you know corporate by day and then this is the <laughs> moment one day my boss said to me hey can you do anything with your arts background and one of our clients for like an offsite?" And so I thought, okay, and he said, how about we do a painting? And I thought, oh, I never – so I, I ran a painting activity for them and they loved it, like more than loved it. They just blew their minds. And I thought, ooh, there's something in this. And then I sort of went part-time. The other, the other pit which goes with this, I realised I didn't like being a full-time corporate cat. And then I sort yeah. of negotiated with a company I was with to sort of do it part-time. And then I was a lecturer at the National Gallery of England, which is the big – building on Trafalgar Square, which you always see. Oh, yeah, so you give yeah. talks and yeah. all the artworks, uh, which wow. was amazing. And see so him one day yeah. talking about a Titian and then a Picasso and a Van Gogh and a Gauguin and, uh, you know, a wow. Caravaggio. So I, re- I really love that. And that's when I thought, oh, I really like this mix of the creative and the corporate. 
So then I was mm-hmm. doing all sorts of art events around London and sort of for big events. And I get we like did something at Salvador Dali Gallery, so I got people in. They all to paint their own Salvador Dali picture in twenty minutes. Wow. And and then when I came back to Australia, I thought, oh, I'll pursue that uh, rather than getting a full time job. Plus. You know, when you come back from overseas and you've had two years off, which we did, we didn't work for two years, we just travelled around the world, um, mm-hmm. and everyone goes, ooh, what happened in this time frame? And you go, I was travelling, and people go, oh, you know, people are going to love the fact you've travelled. People just look at you and go, loose, loose unit, unemployable. <laughs> un- <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> unstable. Uh, what do you mean you didn't work for two years? Um, so I thought, I'm just going to try my own business, and then I did art creative events for five or six years, and then... Everyone just kept saying, look, you should be speaking. And also all the work I did in the UK was at a real high level. So I thought I'll, I'll move back mm. into that space again. But then you sort of combine the arts and the, the corporate experience to, I guess, to do what I do now. So that, that's my little story with a few sort of hiccups and, you know, backflips on the way. But as such, it was just that question. Uh, and I've mm. heard the saying, a good question does the heavy awesome. lifting. So that yeah. um, that one question I thought, Open yeah, the ooh, there's something here and made me yeah. connect two spaces which I didn't think could connect. Yeah, it's fabulous. And I've set, watched your videos on your website uh, when you're giving speeches and um, your engagement with the audience is fabulous. And I love how you draw these mind maps. Is that what you would call it? Uh, look, essentially illustrations, that? yeah. I, I do a lot of yeah. illustration on stage and I do a huge amount of illustration for clients, whereas essentially Amazing. how do you get your ideas out of a PowerPoint into something that people mm. can connect with? And, you know, the moment you put an illustration with people in it and you show emotion and feeling and humour, all of a sudden everyone goes, oh, <gasps> Oh, I get it. I get it. I see myself there. So it's like good copy. Like yeah. when you write uh, good copywriting and you gather people in, you get that human element and you get that storytelling going, which says essentially create visual stories uh, that yeah. people can connect with. Yeah, and it really engages them. And I think in one of your talks you said, you know, you draw it out because people remember it more if they can see a visual representation. Oh, yeah, you, we remember around 65% as of what we see as opposed to about 10 to 20 percent of what we read and like as you would know challenge you to ever remember the uh second line on the third powerpoint slide that you saw at a conference (laughs) uh but you'll remember the stories the images and that type of thing and a good speaker uh, from having watched so many speakers over the years especially when i've been emceeing or different things they'll just stand up Mm. they'll maybe have like five or six slides for 40 minutes and each one will just be a really strong picture and they'll they'll talk to it. It's mm-hmm. like good copy. With good copywriting, yeah. you, you tell a story and people buy yeah. into that to that story. Mm-hmm. In a way that kind of resonates yeah. with them and they can connect yeah. to it. Yeah, for sure. And so, so how many years have you been in your own doing your own thing in your own business? Well, I reckon I, I was being a freelancer before it was cool back in about 2003, I started, uh, that's when I went from the world of full-time employment to part-time when I was in the UK. And then when I moved back to Australia, I had some part-time jobs and I did this bit of a side hustle on the side as I sort of built it up. I used to work in the Museum of Mm -hmm. Contemporary Art for a little while. And then I also, um, this is a good thing, if you want to start your own business, there's no point having a plan B because you just want plan A to work. If you've got a plan B, mm. you always think, oh, that's there for me. If I fall back, mm. that's what someone said to me yesterday, there's only one plan, that's plan A. But there's also no harm in starting out 
at a level where you you just sort of put your foot in the foot in the in the ocean and just test and try different things where you've also got that that income next to you as well so it doesn't mean you're you're not going wholehearted um but it doesn't hurt doesn't mean you have to do it that way it doesn't hurt to have something else on the side and then i reckon it was about 2000 and end of two i think gfc was 2000 and end of 2009 so about halfway through Mm -hmm. 2009 Mm -hmm. i've been by myself and been running it since then so yeah great and I think, like, maybe if you just dip your toe in slowly, it's also seems less scary if you feel like you've got, you know, somewhere to fall back, something to fall back on if it or if you take, it takes the wrong turn or if you fail at the first attempt. But um, have, what kind of challenges have you faced along the way on this journey? Are there any kind of failures that you remember and what you learned from them and how you moved, moved past them? And- yeah, well, look, think if you if you run a business you will fail each and every day okay so re, re, mm-hmm. rethink this uh, and you know the corporate landscape says fail fast i always like to think mm-hmm. experiment quickly so you will you will try things all the time and they will not work out as you had imagined but if you do it on a small scale uh and do it quickly and learn from it that's a really nice way to to be and the, you know the, again the corporate word is agile which is one of those sort of groovy hey we do things in an agile format but look if you're a small business owner you, you know that already but probably the biggest thing for me was mental health was just keeping that in check. And look, I think end of 2017, it was, I remember they have the Are You Okay Day, which gets a lot of, you know, press. And I thought, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not okay. And that was probably the the time frame where I thought, I need to get things back on track. And I was writing a book at the Mm. time and three young kids. My wife had been really, really sick for a long, long time, like six, seven years. Mm. And all of a sudden I thought, oh, no, I don't have my shit together here. Like two clients, absolutely, but just behind the scenes, no, I wasn't. um, And sort of like your brain scrambled. So it wasn't like depression or anything, Mm. but we had a really bad case of decision fatigue. And Mm. the, the people I saw said, you've got something akin to PTSD. So it's so that was the biggest challenge. The good thing of that is all of a sudden you realise, well, when you start to realign your life a little bit more and uh, do a lot more things for yourself, surf a lot more, uh, you know, it's not, it's not selfish yeah. to look after yourself and it's not selfish to no. take time off. And actually it's the best business decision you'll ever make. Like yes. you work your ass off, granted, be ready to do that, but also reward yourself with those mm. couple of hours each and every day that put something back into your um, your bucket or puts you at the top of the pyramid. And another way to think of it is, um, as someone said to me, if you're on a plane, the oxygen masks drop down first, you put them on before you put your kids on, so you look after yourself. So look, mm. and I'm not alone in that. You know, In the entrepreneurial space, mental health is a huge thing because we don't look after ourselves. So, um, no. so that was probably the biggest one. I guess some of the other challenges is making sure you're surrounded by really good people. And that means you've yes. got good people mentoring you. And also what I would recommend anyone who's starting their own business, see if you can mentor someone else. Someone yeah. who's a little bit, uh, let's say, not even further behind where you are, even just on a, on a, you know, a um, horizontal level. Because I mentor mm-hmm, a few mm-hmm. people because I really struggled to find anyone who, you know, have any interest when I started. Uh, but what you find is you get so much out of it yourself. Like when you're you know, <laughs> helping yeah. someone else, you go, God, I'm really smart. Why didn't I think of this? So, <laughs> when, when, so yeah, it's, um, yeah. surround yourself with really good people. 
And also, um, you know, if you're a solopreneur, don't spend too much time on yourself, by yourself, I think. Mm, and a lot of people yeah. are solopreneurs. So maybe get in um, sort of very workspace, very where you, uh, you know, you hang out, um, do all that stuff. If you've got a couple of hours, you need to do some writing, go to a coffee shop, you know, maybe do a couple of days a week at a co-working space, just so you've got a little bit of a routine and you're not just, you know, rolling out of your bed every day in your pyjamas straight onto the, mm. in, onto the, onto the laptop. Yeah, have a bit of structure. And um, just going back to the first point that you made about mental health, do you think, like, how important is setting boundaries? I mean, you say do something every day for you. Um, I know that for us, well, one thing that I personally struggle with often is boundaries and when to say no and not take on work that I know I'm not going to enjoy. Um, Do you have any tips for setting boundaries to maybe help with your mental health? Well, I would say exactly all the three things that you just said. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I I shared a fair bit about this, uh, especially when – because I built my own offices at home. I used to always rent space and share space, but then I realised it's quite a big bill, um, especially considering Mm. someone I don't don't spend that much time in the office at all. So when (laughs) COVID started, I was actually – you know, well set up for that. You know, I wasn't freaking yeah. out, but I think boundaries are absolutely essential. And I think what you've mm. said as well, be okay with saying no to stuff. And look, when you first start your business, you say yes to everything, but you also really challenge yourself because sometimes you do a job and you think, God, this has gone on for like months and I've got paid like $2. So <laughs> you think my gut <laughs> told me not to say yes to this. So yeah, yeah, be really careful what you say yes to, but also be open to saying yes to cool things. But I think a key thing for me is when work, when that computer shuts, it shuts, okay? Mm. And also have a really good start of the day routine. So you don't mm. just get up and have a bit of breakfast and, you know, or, or just go straight onto your laptop. Have that start of your day routine when you will go and so you, you might walk, you might swim, you might. Uh, exercise, meditate, yoga, whatever it is, coffee, I don't know, whatever whatever your start of the day routine is, have that. And also have a time when during the middle of the day or some part of the day, I'm going to exercise, I'm going to do something for me, I'm going to look at a different set of walls, whatever that is. Um, yeah, set as many yeah. boundaries and parameters as you can. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. And moving on to the mentoring side of things how how did you find people to mentor and how did you find your mentors how did you come across these people in your look network? I'm part of a sort of a business entrepreneurial program which I've sort of joined and there's a lots lots of these different oh, ones great. around and look uh, we have a huge amount of uh, accountability or I set up in accountability groups so even if you can't mm. find a mentor find someone who you're accountable to and someone yes. who you're not best mates with because if you're mm. best mates with something, oh, don't worry, you didn't get that done. That's fine. Don't worry about it. But, but my yeah. book never would have come out if I had, didn't have an accountability group I was doing the same thing with. So if you can't find a mentor, um, ask for uh, – try and find someone who can keep you accountable. Set your three goals each week and then check in at the end of the week. And to make sure you do it, have a, what's called an atonement. I heard someone say the other day, so if you don't do it, there's a punishment. And mine is uh, there's a certain political party in Australia, in Queensland, a little bit racist. So for <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for, um, for every every day that I don't get my uh, my goal done, I have to donate twenty five dollars to them. <laughs> oh, oh no! So, 
don't want to be helping well, here's that the thing. Course. Here's the thing. I um I haven't done it as in uh, I've got my things up oh, every day. Good. So it's a good yeah, motivator. If you've ever read the work of <laughs> Tim Ferriss, uh, for our work, where he, yes. he's big into this yeah. as well. So make yeah, it public yeah. and look, just ask people. With I probably asked the wrong people. Uh, when I was starting out. Um, so ask people who might have retired, ask someone who could say, uh, you know, if you've got half an hour for a week, do you mind if I check in? Someone you admire, say, look, I can also yeah. trade this. Like I've traded uh, because, you know, I'm in that sort of creative space. So I probably don't need mentoring and that, but just the general business side of things like numbers, you know, mm-hmm. forecasting, strategy, all that type of stuff. So find someone you might be able to share. Uh, share your stuff mm-hmm. with or also most um, most local councils which I've found they'll have business mentors or have business startup business grant programs as well so you can reach yes, out to them true. and just having someone to throw your ideas to mm-hmm. it's just such a wonderful it's such a wonderful thing absolutely um, and you touched on briefly about your book there. Do you want to tell us a little bit more? Yeah, about sure. It's called A Thousand Little Light Bulbs, How to Kickstart a Culture of Innovation in Your Organization. But the focus is very much on people because often we hear the word innovation. We go, oh, yeah, great. We've got this great bit of tech coming. Innovation is happening to us. And I say, no, yeah. we are creating innovation. We are creating innovation. Mm. It's not just, again, where you know, often when we'll talk around, if I'll do something like an innovation workshop or we've, we talk around ideas, everyone goes, let's make an app, okay? Just forget the app. Literally think, what can you do with your eyes wide open to create innovation, which I call yeah. change, which adds value? How can you be curious enough, use your imagination, be open to trying, you know, creativity, which I call connecting the dots in different ways? How can we embrace those uniquely human skills to make sure innovation mm. is part of your each and every day. And if you're a small business owner, you're doing this all the time. You're probably not giving yourself the credit yeah. you deserve. But it's very much focused <laughs> on, you know, how do we innovate as uh, humans? How do we make it fun and enjoyable and tap into that wonderful, creative, uh, curious, imaginative self that we all have? Plus, there's also, uh, as with all books, a handy framework <laughs> you can, you can <laughs> follow uh, sort of to, to implement that in your organisation. That's great. That's great. And um, it looks like you've got a framework for your own business in a way because you have a lot of different revenue streams that you've tapped into over the years, like speaking engagements. You've got your book now. um, You work directly in workshops with corporates. Um, How did these income streams develop? Did you start off with one and then they all kind of came in bit by bit or did you start off with multiple at once? Uh, I yeah, look, when I was in the UK, I used to facilitate a lot of offsites. Like, you know, companies would have their offsites, their team days, their away days. And there was a part of the business which was sort of like that that fun team building, sort of experiential learning oh, type yeah. stuff. So there was a bit of a gap there. <laughs> and team building, everyone rolls their eyes. But um, uh, so I understand this. But this was like sort of that high end type stuff. And so I thought, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm going to run run with that and it sort of suited my personality style. So you might have three or 400 people in the room. You run through like a business game, which runs for three hours and everyone's running around and yahooing and whoa. So I sort of picked up that and I thought, well, I quite like, I like being on stage, a bit of a show off, uh, you know, like that sort of interaction with the crowd. So I sort of went down that uh, uh, space 
And then different, I guess people start to ask you to do different things and you go, oh, I'll try that. And I've often Mm -hmm. had, can you help us out with this? And I'll say yes. And then they've got, God, I've got no idea what they're, you know, how to do this. But then a couple of weeks later, you have a really good idea. But then with the speaking, when I did, went through this entrepreneurial program sort of four or five years ago, and a big part of it was, well, what what do you, what do you tell people what you do? And I go, a bit of this and a bit of that. And they go, well, it's really confusing. And they said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a speaker. So I just started calling myself a speaker mm. and then all of a sudden you're getting booked for speaking. So I guess a little bit of That's manifestation there and sending good vibes yeah. to the universe. And also, again, the last two or three, four years, I thought I really know which are my sweet spots just through trial and error. Mm. And I guess like in your copywriting business, you think, no, I really know the clients we like to work with, the stuff where we really shine. And so I've become better at mm. saying no, that's my spot where I, where I, um, yeah, where I shine. But also things open up if you're open to the, if you're open yeah. to what opportunities. opportunities. You actually start to realise, yeah. well, like this piece around um, help organisations visualise their strategy. That sort of came around yeah. from. I thought, well, there's a real bit of a market here to actually start, yes. you know, fixing that. So again, start posting about it, start sharing it. I'm doing mm. this. And you sort of the messages just start to go out as well. Yeah, you put it out to the universe. Yeah, it sounds a bit woo-woo. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> but with, the, true, with the speaking, that sort, of, that sort of happened. But, look, a lot of stuff happens behind that. I've got a good show reel, um, so I made sure I got that. Yeah. And then I had a speaking page on my website. Um, I've since had a speaker coach who's another um, – she coaches all the TEDx talkers or the TED talkers in Australia. Oh, so wow. there's with all of this stuff, you have to put in the effort. But yeah. if, you know, if you yeah, choose to go down that. a certain path, often that, that energy will, will follow as well. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you could talk a little bit about partnerships as well because I know you've got a great podcast. You could tell us a little bit about that and you've got a partnership there with the the other guy that you host the podcast. Sorry, I forgot John, his name. John Wright. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah, John, who you, post, um, who you host the podcast with. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how – um, you guys joined for Yeah, and on the partnerships, I think partnerships are your best friend, okay? Partnerships are your best yeah. friend, especially if you're a solopreneur or a small business. And this isn't my IP. This has come from other things I've been involved with. There's, uh, let's say you've got great content. Uh, there's always a business mm. out there who's got uh, a great a great brand and they've got a great mm. reach, but their content's terrible. So you can say, hey, I've got mm. this great content you could share. And all of a sudden, their audience is getting all this great stuff and you're connected. You're also on your mailing list grows by you know 10,000 overnight. Mm. So always be on the lookout for those complementary partnerships where you're not trying mm. to savage the same client. Someone will always mm. share a um, different client to you so you can connect and collaborate in a bunch of different ways where you know, you're a mutual benefit for everyone. And look, for me, the, the favourite things I do is when I work in partnership with someone. But John, who I did the podcast with, we used to work at that same company in the in the UK. Uh, yeah, oh, we really? both were, but I guess our friendship was forged at work, but then all the social stuff outside of work. So we've, you know, we've met up in South America and, you know, been at Glastonbury and so, you know, forged in the fires <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of a very good time. And um, he said, look, we've done a little bit of professional work together. And he said, well, let's look at collaborating on something this year. And I said, well, let's do a podcast. And it's good. I don't think I could have got it up and running without that back and forth and that ideas. But podcasts. Your accountability partner. Yeah, and also just someone to share (laughs) ideas with. I thought I just, 
I, yeah. I could do a podcast now by myself because I've I've tried and tested mm-hmm. it, but it's so much more fun to uh, to do with mm. someone else. So yeah, and, and it's yeah. called the Occupational Philosophers, a not so serious business podcast to spark creativity, curiosity, and imagination. And look, why it works is we're both good at different things. So we both bring a different yeah. energy. We both bring a different yeah. mindset. We both think about different things. He'll be really good at, you know, writing descriptions of certain things and I'll and a little bit more about the production. And so it's just, mm. you know, uh, no, you know, no entrepreneur has ever stood on top of a mountain and went, I did everything myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've always surrounded by great people, which is what I, I spoke about earlier. So find those really yeah. good eggs. And almost think yes. of it as, um, almost think of, you hear that word collective used a little bit, uh, used a lot in different ways, but think who's mm-hmm. your collective, your seven or eight great mm-hmm. people where you can share work with back and forth. You can, you know, let's say someone who can ring you up and say, we've got a great copywriting job. Oh, that's great because we've met a client, we've done the copywriting, they need a website or whatever that may be. So find yeah. that group of people where there's good trust, good connection, so, yeah, I think partnerships are a key and I'd almost put that as the, the top of your entrepreneurial list. Who can I partner with? Because mm. all of a sudden these trusted mm. warm leads are coming your way as well. Yeah. Actually, um, we partner with quite a few web designers and refer to each other because obviously people who are wanting new websites are looking for copywriters and often when they come for, for copy, they are looking for a new website. So. That works. And talking about um, partnerships, or not maybe not partnerships, but accountability, this podcast wouldn't have got off the ground if it wasn't for um, a podcast incubator group that we joined to sort of put the rocket under us because we'd been talking about doing a podcast for years and um, we joined this group and it was we'd launched within six weeks after joining the group, after talking about it for about a year. Yeah. So, yeah, it really helped us. Yeah, 100%. Well. And look, I guess I uh, the reason I was confident we could do the podcast because I was in a book incubator. I was in the entrepreneurial mm. incubator for nine months and one of the – there's five parts to that. And one of the five parts was uh, publish, so write a book. And uh, – uh, yeah, so I got that out into the into the world. And you know when you do your podcasts, you're in that voice inside your head saying, who's going to listen to you? Who are you to be able to say anything? Who do you think you are? What if someone smarter than the you listens to the podcast? And the good thing is I'd, I'd done all that with a book already. So <laughs> yeah, I, I dealt with syndrome. that imposter syndrome. So I thought, no, I can, I can, I can work this out. And, but again, that same thing, that accountability, uh, part of a, a group as well, like you're all sort of, you know, part of that. And I'm sure you had some challenges and, you know, get your, yeah, yeah, get, your get your podcast yeah. cover done by next week. And you go, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, Yeah. so um, there's some really good lessons just in that for how you uh, not only um, grow your business, but how you create, isn't it? Because all of this, Mm. the podcast, is your creation. You've created something from nothing. So I think there's some really nice lessons there around how we create and bring stuff into the world because, you know, we've all sat on good ideas for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, maybe even longer, and we've never done anything about them. So that accountability, yeah. that little bit of um, a rocket up your backside, all of a sudden, yeah, yeah. you're away. <laughs> um, I listened to your most recent podcast actually about goal setting and uh, New Year's resolutions, I suppose, and about habits um, and how sometimes it's better to form a habit rather than thinking about a New Year's resolution or a you know, waft yeah. goal. Could you talk a little bit more about habit setting? Well, look, 
I want to put a disclaimer there. John and I, we're not about habits. Our podcast, we're about uh, yeah. Uh, so we felt we were, we felt like we're the imposters there. But we thought, you know, we had that. We had that. <laughs> no, you did a great job. <laughs> so we were laughing. Like, let's look on oh, those people who really achieve their New Year's goals. What's what's gone wrong? And um, and I guess what from all the people we've interviewed, uh, yes, everyone from you know uh, university lecturers through to comedians through to artists through to um, you know performers, they've all got great habits. So what they've actually got mm-hmm. in their day is a bunch of creative habits. And you're reading Atomic Habits in the moment by James Clear, and I've, oh, yes, yeah, I've read so that. it's yeah, a great, great, it's a great read, and I recommend any entrepreneur or any business owner put that at the top of your list. Um, it's about those little things each and every day, isn't it? You just you just chip away. Yeah. So how do you um, how do you put in those positive habits every day, and then how do you get rid of those negative ones, which we've all got a bunch of? How do we get rid of those stupid, mm. crappy <laughs> things which just waste our time and yeah, so I mm. that's the way I, I'm looking at it. And um, in our follow-up episode, John, he had his little January advent calendar. He's been going, pull something out of the box every day, which says do a curious, creative thing. And that's going great. Yeah, oh, it's going that. great. My habit yeah. of being on a beer commercial has gone nowhere. I've got no plan. I've, I haven't changed anything. <laughs> so, so it was a nice reflection. Like you can say stuff all you want, but you actually think, well, what, what, what are just some habits, even just to get me started? So, um, and on yeah. the, the other one was around meditation. I've really been trying to fit in an afternoon one mm. just because I've heard so many people talk about twice a day, you know, I've never been the same person, but. 20 minutes was my aim, but I'm so I thought I'm getting nowhere near that because I can't. So I'm just going to, I've mm. chipped it down to five, do a five minute meditation in the afternoon, mm. easy. So just building these these little habits, no expert, just reflection. So what are you, what are you mm. maybe top five habits to keep, uh, do more of? What are the top five habits to ditch? Yeah. Mm. And slowly, slowly. I like how in Atomic Habits he talks about um, if you improve yourself by like 1% every day, over the space of a year, it ends up being a massive amount, but it's just about taking small actionable set steps. And well, as well, he says, you need, you know, they need to be easy stuff you're actually going to yeah. do because yeah, as you mentioned with the meditation, 20 minutes was looking impossible, but then five easy minutes. Easy peasy. Yeah. Can, easy peasy. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Great. So maybe just to finish off, if there was like one tidbit of advice you could give someone who maybe wanted to break away and do something different and launch their own business, what golden tidbit of advice? Would well, you- that's a bit of a hard question. to. to- <laughs> <laughs> it is. Sorry to end on a tough one. Should have done that uh, up front so I could <laughs> get, the, get the unanswerable question out of the way. Look, if you want to do something enough, you will do it. You will do it. Yeah. And I think if, if you're worried, ask if you can, I mean, maybe go the 80 20 rule, like sort of, you know, put 20% of your time into, uh, into that, into, into your passion project. Because we often think, uh, again, I've read a lot of stuff like Brene Brown and different people. They say, look, you, and because often, you know, Simon Sinek will say, you know, do something, find your why, do something you enjoy. So I've read other things saying, look, your why can be not your job. Now, your why can be all the stuff you do outside mm. work. There's a whole bunch of different ways mm-hmm, to do that. Mm-hmm. But if there's one tip, um, if you really want to do it, do it. But I would say do as much uh, research, do as much find a mentor, all that sort of stuff we've spoken about, sort of envisage if I were to do it, what would it look like, what's, what's my plan. 
And then, you know, the, the bite the bullet as well. So, um, look, that, that, that's, I, I don't think I can answer that question. What's the, the one? <laughs> What's the, There's so yeah, many things. And look, um, <laughs> but look, people, people start businesses because there's something in us where we want to create. Mm. We want to bring something into the world. Mm. We want to express ourselves in a different way. We realize there's more than just the um, – and, you yeah, know, some people absolutely love their nine to five career whatever that may be so don't get me wrong don't think you have to rip up what you're doing but there's something in all of us where there's we're always curious about what's on the other side so um if you're curious uh be curious and i think you would know though most businesses fail within the first year so think around what's your um what's your plan to uh to go through the year and also, yeah, if you, net. yeah, I know, I sort of feel like safety net. Is that the right word to say? Because, you know, be bold. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think also probably you think what will your first three or four clients look like? Because if you can leave what you're doing, go to where you do have mm. clients already, I think that's a really good way to do it. So maybe start the seeds early. If you think, I want to leave this job in 18 months, start thinking about it now. Start sowing the seeds and, you know, start saying, you know, I'm going to be this and that and whatever time, you know, legally, of course, not pinching clients that you shouldn't be <laughs> or something. Uh, yeah, look, what, a, what a big question. I think a terrible answer. But <laughs> No, no, it was good. You touched on lots of different things. And actually, it was reminding me about what you were saying before about partnerships. And like a lot of people always think going into business is all about helping a client. How can we help the clients we're serving? But not many people think about helping other businesses. But, you know, there's business out there for everyone. And I feel like the more businesses we help, the more we can grow and learn from each other. So it's not just about helping your client base, but also about helping each other, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Forming those connections. And there's a book out. I haven't read it, but I high respect for the author and I've heard it's very good feedback. Uh, Andrew Griffiths is one of Australia's uh, leading. He was my book mentor, actually, for for my book. Oh, wow. Yeah, so um, he was great, but he's got a book out called "Someone Should Be the Someone Has to Be the Most Expensive." It might as well be you. I haven't I haven't read it, but I've I've read online (laughs) saying this is how you need to think about your business and price yourself. And you know, you be the one which is the uh, you be the Gucci handbags of website design. So um, again, I haven't read it, but I would from everything I've read, yeah, have a read read of that, that. and I think that'd be a nice, um, nice little Kickstarter. I think. That's interesting with pricing because I know definitely as women and all the women entrepreneurs I've spoken to, often we're, I feel like we're more timid than men when it comes to pricing and we often undervalue ourselves and our skill set. And then we say yes to work for a cheaper price and then we end up hating what we're doing because we've fallen into that pit hole of doing it for too little. Do you have any advice for having the courage to price yourself for what you're worth? Yeah, look, and look, at the beginning of my career, I, de- I deliberately, I knew I could go at 10, 15% lower than other people or 20% lower and mm. then um, win the work on money when you know it's, even though you should win the work on value, okay, it's about value, you create yeah, the client. Yeah, but if they don't Yeah, yeah, so I, I, I'll be happy to say I undercut some other people. I mean, that's business, isn't it? Yeah. But then after yeah, yeah. that, you, um, you, you really want to show that... You, 
you're the you're the person they want to work with because you really understand their problems. So always present yourself yes. in the gold standard way. Like present the the material yeah. you sent them, the videos you send to them. Uh, make it mm. personalised. Shoot a little video when you send it to the client. And there's a great little program called Vidyard where you can shoot yourself speaking to the camera and you've got your proposal. So sort of think what's what's the gold standard, uh-huh. and you be the gold standard because a lot of people will mm. send out their work and yeah whatever send out hundred proposals today but you be the one that's that that little bit different but look it's it's hard like i wouldn't say it's a female thing only based on my own (laughs) (laughs) because you always want to want to undervalue but i guess you have to be you have to be a little bit bold you have to be a little bit bold and yeah work out you you know where um uh you know where your cutoff price point will be and also be okay Mm. and say um say to someone look at that price i'm not the right person for you to work with but i'm Mm. sure there's plenty of other people who will work at that and you know really value the opportunity but look if you if you want to come back let's you know i'm happy to happy to talk so um in my experience, the people that undercut you in price probably you don't want to work with them. Yeah, anyway. you, you have to. Design, you have to. There's two types of businesses: the type who ship product at the cheapest. That's your business model. Uh, you ship product at the cheapest mm-hmm. price possible, which is a fine business model if that's your business model. Or you shift. You shift it on value. Yeah, and it's why do people? Yeah, yeah. You know, why do people pay? Um, uh, let's say you know thirty thousand dollars for a watch. Where you can buy one, so it's the same yeah. thing for a thousand dollars. Be the thirty thousand dollar dollar watch, yeah, yeah. Because you don't need as many clients. Yeah, look, right? uh, getting thirty thousand dollars a pop. Yeah, absolutely. And it's probably the eighty twenty rule as well. Like you know, twenty percent of your clients give yourself eighty percent of your business. And I've heard um, yeah. people they've looked at what's your five clients with the biggest pain in the ass. If you've got a client portfolio, drop them. Yeah, because you're going to free up eighty yeah. percent of your time, and probably only lose twenty percent of your twenty um, percent of your uh, budget. Because the ones which are really good clients, they're 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 fantastic to work with. Yeah, that's great. Great advice all the way oh, through this you. talk. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> the wise old sage is hard sure. knocks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure our listeners have got heaps from it. So thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, you're welcome. And um, maybe just if you could just plug your podcast and your website once more so that anyone listening can tune Yeah, in. absolutely. Uh, simonbanks.com.au. There's an easy way to say hello. On LinkedIn is probably where I'm most active on the socials. I'm probably okay. the number three or four Simon Banks. Uh, you'll see there, but Simon Banks, you know, <laughs> keynote speaker. Instagram is Simon Banks, C R E A 8, the letter, uh, no, the letter 8, the number 8. And the podcast yep. is called The Occupational Philosophers, which is on every podcast channel wherever you, you download as well. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks Simon. for having us. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Committed Creative Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learned at least one thing that will help you stay on the creative path. If you liked it, please subscribe as there's plenty more to come. And we'd love it if you could leave us a review if you found the podcast worthwhile. And if you didn't, please send us your feedback. We're all ears. You can check us out online at redplatypuscreative.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at redplatypuscreative. Remember... You are not alone in your creativity and you can make money from your creative pursuits. See you next time when we speak to another creative mind that's committed to making their way work. Here's to going all in and becoming a committed creative.